0: You're listening to Radio Influence. Why, Crusher, it's good to see
1: you. You're listening to Crush Performance with The Crusher, Jeff Cruschel.
2: Get in on the talent grid and text CRUSH at 10 12, 60 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. Yeah, Hey and welcome to Crush Performance everybody, thanks for tuning in, I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. My name is Jeff Cruschel and we're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to reach out to us, questions, comments, smart remarks, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website, info at Crush Performance is the email. We answer every message we get, so if you need some help with something that's why we're here, reach out. Or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, let us know. We've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas, so do reach out. Again, info at Crush Performance is the email. On the social media. You can get me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, search out Crush Performance, and we will hook you up there. All right, well, listen. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to all of our good friends down south of the border in the mighty U.S. of A. It's been a very interesting and challenging year for everybody in the U.S., and with the COVID landscape fairly unchanged, we know that the Thanksgiving celebrations aren't quite... As they would normally be, but I hope everyone finds a way to connect, spend some quality time together, and embrace this great holiday for what it is, a time to be thankful. So, uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody down south. And of course, along with the Thanksgiving weekend in the great United States of America, comes the NFL and a full day of games on Thursday as we head into the weekend And today on the show, we're going to talk a little NFL. At the start of every season, of course, we look at the teams to watch, the storylines to watch, the players to watch, and we're just going to sort of do a snapshot. Where are our teams? Where are the crushed teams to watch this year? We'll have a look and see who's on track, who's falling behind, and are there any other surprises that we didn't see so far this NFL season? It's always fun to talk about, but again, remember, there's plenty to learn. From professional sports. If you want to find out what to do and sometimes what not to do, just look to the top. There's so many resources there. It also sets the tone for, I think, what everybody's shooting for. The highest levels of competition in the land. So uh, that's always fun to do. We're also going to take a look at Major League Baseball. Some interesting, historic and confusing news coming out of Major League Baseball here over the last little bit. The interesting, of course, Theo Epstein stepping down from the Cubs. We'll have a look at that. And there's some interesting context to that move. We'll get into that because I think it doesn't just reflect on the game of baseball. There is a bigger picture here based on some of Theo's thoughts as he gets prepared to step away from the Cubs. The historic, of course, the Marlins hiring of Kimming, the first female GM in Major League Baseball, and this is fantastic. I know Kim quite well, and we'll talk about that just briefly. I know it's gone through the news cycle up and down a thousand times, but this is going to be great to watch. It's not just great for baseball, it's great for sport. And being the father of three daughters, this is a really, really important time in sports and society as well. So uh, we'll talk about that. And then there's the confusing, everybody. Robinson Cano testing positive and losing a year of competition. And I think, what, $24 million. Come on. What? Why? Why is the question? We'll try to answer that. I don't know if we can. But uh, yes, very, very confusing indeed. And then later in the show, we'll also get into our brain game poll. Of course, through our brain game series, we put out a poll asking you, our audience, whether you thought the brain should be one of the top priorities. That needs to be addressed in order to set people up for success. And not just in sport. This can be applied to anywhere in life. Anywhere people are trying to get better. So we put out the poll and there were three sort of options. Yes, it should be a top priority. Something that needs to be addressed right away so we can attack and move forward with purpose. Number two was address it as you go. You know, as you develop and get into the system. Hey, there may be things you need to address inside of the brain game, the mental game. And then the third option was address it on an individual basis. Does everybody actually need to spend time early on in this or are there, are there ways to identify who might need that kind of help early on? And then as an athlete progresses, there may be circumstances that arise where we might need to address this sort of thing. So those are the three options. Really, really interesting numbers coming out of that poll. Uh, We've, put all of the data together and we've gotten some numbers here and it's not quite what I thought. We'll discuss that later on. But for now, let's take a look at what's happening in the world of sport. And there are a lot of very interesting things going on. Let's dive into the world of hockey up North in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which was one of the NHL bubbles for the playoffs. um, The world junior championships are slowly coming together. Team Canada is up there as they work on narrowing down their roster. Edmonton has been identified as the host city for the next two years, and it's a big deal. The world is coming together to play junior hockey, and this is one of the big events on the hockey schedule. And it is a ton of fun to watch. Even if you're not a hockey fan, This this while this could turn you into a hockey fan, that's how great it is. It is the next generation of great players from all over the world coming together to showcase their skills. And trust me, this is intense hockey. It's a little different than the NHL or the professional game. And I might even like this hockey even more than the professional game. Part of it's because of the structure of the tournament, right? There's a sense of urgency here. But also, these young players are ready to go. They're representing their countries. They're on the world stage. And they're showcasing their skills. It is just fantastic. It's 10 teams from all over the world. Uh, Eight from Europe. And then there's the U.S. and Canada all coming together. And they're going to be operating in a bubble, the exact same type of performance bubble that the NHL put together for the playoffs. So it worked very, very well for the NHL, one of the more successful competitive environments, you know, in this COVID landscape right alongside the NBA, of course. But uh, the World Juniors will be operating in that sort of a mandate. And it's interesting. Team Canada, as I mentioned, is up there already narrowing down their roster, uh, getting the players ready for the tournament and they have a couple of positive cases already. So we'll see how this all unwinds as the that tournament comes closer. This vaccine is going to be so, so important in the new year for sure. And especially when we talk about the Olympics. You know, we're looking at the World Juniors as an international competitive event. And if there's one international competitive event that we're all hoping gets off the ground, it is the Olympics that are scheduled to start July 23rd now of 2021. So that's the date that all of the Olympic athletes are shooting for and preparing their 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 competitive schedules and their training for. July 23rd of 2021. What a massive setback in the world of sport. But when we have an international event here like the World Juniors, and that's, of course, one of the reasons we're talking about it today, it could be a real key indicator of whether other international events can actually happen. You know, it was one thing to bring together North American teams into Edmonton and Toronto for the NHL playoffs or, you know, the teams coming together in Orlando for the NBA playoffs. But it's an entirely different thing when teams are coming from around the world now in this time of COVID-19. They're going to have to be very, very strategic in how they handle this. And they're going to be, of course, We know some of the organizers and the medical staff who helped put together that NHL bubble. They're consulting and helping this thing happen. So fingers crossed, everything goes well, and we can get this tournament off the ground. You know, again, going back to our Kids of COVID series and all of the things this generation is missing. You know, for some of these players, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime event or maybe last-in-a-lifetime if they've been there previously. Much like our Olympic athletes, there's only very few opportunities you get to go and represent your country on the world stage. And for these young hockey players coming to Edmonton to you know, battle it out over the World Junior Tournament, uh, this is a big deal. So I just have fingers crossed for those young players more than anybody else that this goes off and everybody's safe. All right, so, so we'll watch that with great interest. And staying with hockey, we're also watching the NHL and their progress as they try to determine the structure, starting date, and how a new season might unwind here. And there's been plenty of talk between the ownership groups and the commissioner's office and the players' association, and talks are moving forward. So that's very, very promising for NHL and hockey fans everywhere. Fingers crossed that happens. And as all that is going down, the NBA announces its season. Preseason games are to start December 11th to 19th. So that's great news, and we'll see how that unwinds. They're not going to be operating in a bubble, so they're going to try to... Work as regular as possible. I guess the big change there, of course, will be the Raptors. Looks like Tampa will be their temporary home here, which is great for Tampa. Holy smokes. How about Tampa Bay? The Bucs going strong. You had the Rays going right to the World Series. You have the Lightning, of course. Perennial, just fantastic NHL franchise. And now you're going to have a top-shelf NBA team playing in the community. That is like a sports mecca down there. The beaches, the weather, and if spring training happens the way we hope it's going to happen, it is a really, really good place to be. So uh, good news on the NBA. We'll watch the Raptors. Of course, that'll be a story to watch here as we get set for the NBA season. And then, of course, the NFL. That's what I wanted to get to here before we cut up for a quick break. At the start of each season, as you know, we pick the crushed teams to watch, players to watch, and, of course, the big storylines. And as we head into the Thanksgiving weekend here, we thought it'd be a great time to just sort of look at what's happening in the NFL. I've been following it quite closely. It's been a really great season to watch. So let's look at some of our top teams that we are watching this season. And the Rams were one of them. And Sean McVay is the main reason we've been watching them over the last few years. It's sort of a restructuring. When they hired Sean McVay as one of the youngest coaches, I think, in league history— uh, we were really watching the Rams to see if they could build, thrive, and then maintain performance. Right now, they're seven and three, and they're actually looking good after kind of a shaky start. But the Rams are, are fun to watch right now. And Sean McVay and his coaching staff are doing a fantastic job of maintaining a level of performance that, well, we weren't sure it was possible. But uh, again, they're one of our teams to watch. So they get a check mark. And then, of course, the Bucs were also one of our top teams to watch. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and for good reason, of course. Everybody knows why. The big changes there, the move of Brady and Gronkowski. And the Bucs have actually surprised. I honestly didn't think they would be this good. And I don't know if everybody else thought they were going to, but they're 7-4 and four right now, a tough loss this last week. But it was close. There's still some work to do. But what happens if this team, the core of this team, stays together for a couple years? And Brady stays healthy and Gronkowski comes back and they keep that core. This could be a really, really exciting time for the team. This year has been more exciting than I thought it was going to be. So, of course, we're going to be watching them. Uh, The Bucs get a check mark as one of the crushed teams to watch. The Cowboys, they're going to get a check mark as well because we didn't think they were going to be good. We're watching them with all the controversy and investment that's going into that team, the controversy around training camp at the start of the season. Uh, We were hoping, honestly, that they would be better. But we weren't sure if they were going to. They're 3-7. and It has not been a great year for the Cowboys. And there's a lot to learn there for sure. And I don't know if it's the coaching staff. I don't know if it's the player staff. If it's the environment there. But uh, we have high hopes that the Cowboys will figure out a way to turn it around and come back with a vengeance. I really hope so. And if we can look back and learn, that's what it's all about. So the Cowboys get a check mark. Of course, they're one of our teams to watch, and they've been interesting. The Patriots were another crushed top team to watch for the loss of Gronkowski and Brady. And to see if Belichick is really, really the true leader that we all think he is. Well, listen, tough times in New England. Four and six right now. I'm not sure they can turn it around. There's still some time left. If they finish this season strong, won't that be a story? And I'm not counting them out. Because I do believe Belichick and his approach to the game is, is really, really powerful. And when I think of Belichick and the Patriots, it always brings me back to one of my favorite quotes from the Harvard Business Review. It says, culture trumps strategy every single time. And we know that if there's one thing Belichick is known for... It's for his approach and the culture that he builds around those players. So can culture prevail? Will it happen this year or next year? What a massive shift. So again, Patriots get a checkmark right now. One of the teams we've been watching, and this one's really exciting for me, because we've been watching and hoping not just for the team, but for that fan base. Holy cow, we've been watching this team. They've been on our NFL watch list for almost five years, and it's the Cleveland Browns. How could a team be so bad for so long? That was the big question. And is there any way that they could turn it around? We knew it wasn't going to be a quick shift, a quick turnaround, but we knew it was probably possible. Listen, knocking on wood, the Browns are 7-3 and right now. And that has just been fun to watch. The ups and the downs. Oh, boy, do I feel for those fans, but here they are. Come on, Browns. Even if you're not a Brown fan, somewhere... Somewhere deep down, you have to be cheering for them. Come on. You have to be. I know I am. I've been cheering for them for the last five, six years. And I'm really, really happy to say they get maybe the biggest check mark of the year so far. Because they're doing it. And I hope they go far. And I hope they finish strong and get into the playoffs. Wouldn't that be great for Cleveland? So come on. And hopefully, maybe, maybe. Fingers crossed there might be fans in that stadium. That'd be awesome. And of course, my team. And if you listen to the show, you know that I'm a Raiders fan for no particular reason. I think since I was a kid, you know, maybe the costumes and the fans all dressed up Raiders, you know, I just like the whole theme around them. So I've been a Raiders fan. And again, you know, as a young kid, I'm not really aware of all the ownership issues and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But now I am. And I know people in the organization and I've uh, been to their training camp a couple of times uh, I'm a big fan of the Raiders. And of course we're watching them because of the big move to Vegas. That is a massive, massive change for an organization hiring Gruden for a hundred million dollars. Now the new stadium that, you know, kind of like the Texas Rangers, that new beautiful stadium, these stadiums didn't get their, their big welcoming hurrah. So hopefully that'll happen in the near future. But we thought the big move to Las Vegas would sort of be a catalyst that would get this organization on the winning path. And right now they're six and four. So they're not doing that bad. We are kind of hoping for more, but we're going to give them a check mark regardless because of um, this COVID landscape. I wonder how they would be doing if that stadium was full of Raiders fans every week. I mean, how cool would that be? Hopefully that's coming in the new year. And then a couple of surprise teams that were kind of on the fringe, but really weren't on our watch list. The Eagles. Again, you know, coming off of glory, they really had a downturn there. And now they're just battling back, just quietly behind the scenes coming on and, and really doing well. And, of course, Green Bay, the Packers. I've got great friends who are Packers fans, die hard. Here's one thing I could say about Packers fans. I guess you could say this about every hardcore fans, but the Packer fans are hardcore, man. They really, truly are. Some of my good friends are, are Packers fans, and they are all in Packers fans. But it's great to see that team doing so well. We're going to see how things go for the rest of the season. Of course, you have to talk about the Steelers. What an interesting story to watch. So those are our three surprise teams. So always fun to watch. And we always say, you know, again, you want to find out what to do, look to the pros. There's lots to learn from professional organizations and players, how they operate, how they prepare, and when they're struggling, how do they react? When they're winning, what do they do? Right? There's lots of things there to, to watch for, and that's why we do that. So so interesting stuff. All right, listen, we're going to cut out for a quick break. When we come back, interesting things in Major League Baseball. The interesting, the historic, the confusing. And we'll break down our audience brain game poll right after this on Crush Performance. Stick around. This week's episode of Crush Performance is brought to you with the support of ExoGun. ExoGun is a portable and powerful handheld percussive massage device for high-impact recovery and low-impact deep tissue massage. If you suffer from muscle tension, tightness, or body aches that don't seem to go away, or if you're looking for relief and recovery after a long day or an intense workout, you should try the ExoGun. ExoGun uses percussive therapy to boost muscle function and accelerate recovery by penetrating deep into the muscle tissue with a series of rapid, concentrated, pulsating strokes. It can help you gain back control of your body, revives muscles, boosts blood flow circulation, and releases soreness so you can recover faster and not let pain get in the way of your daily activities. I use it every day and our athletes are using it. I like to use it prior to my workouts or my long rides to get fired up and ready to go, and then afterwards as well it's become a really important part of our recovery strategies. And then I like to use it again in the evenings, about two hours before bed. I find it helps me relax. It certainly helps me recover, but I'm finding I'm sleeping better as well. And we know that sleep and recovery are critical for performing at your best. So let's get you set up for an additional 15% off the current sale price. Go to www.exogun.com slash crush. That's right, you could save a total of $460 off your order. It also comes with four detachable head attachments and a free carrying case for a limited time only. Go to exogun.com backslash crush with a K and get 15% off the current sale price. Treat your body right. Enhanced relaxation and recovery with the Exogun. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text CRUSHER at 10 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the CRUSHER. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Thanks for sticking around over the break. I am Jeff Cruschel. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. On Twitter, follow me at Jeff Crush. And search out Crush Performance on all of their social media platforms, Today, we're taking a look at this sporting landscape. There is a lot of things going on out there in the world of sport, for sure. And if there's one thing that we realize, it is in the world of professional sport, it never stops. Sometimes, the off-season can be as interesting as the in-season. The preseason can be as interesting as the playoffs. And depending how much you dig down and how much of a fan you are of a particular sport or team... It can go 365 days a year. While Major League Baseball, we know, is one of those sports, and it never stops. Some great, great storylines coming out of Major League Baseball. So let's get to it. The interesting, the historic, and the confusing. Let's start with the interesting. I think the announcement that Theo Epstein is stepping down from the Cubs is very interesting. It kind of took me by surprise. There is a... Real true baseball man right there. Got in with the Red Sox very, very early. One of the youngest GMs in history, I believe, at the time. And he was instrumental in turning that organization around and getting them back to World Series glory. Imagine being part of that. You know, as a GM, boy, oh, boy. After that, there's not much else you can do. Except maybe go to the Cubs and help them do exactly the same. Guess what? That is exactly what Theo Epstein did. And now that that's done, he has decided to step away from the game. Maybe only for the short term, but the announcement came out last week that he's going to take a step away. Spend some quality family time. We know what a grind it is. A few years ago, we did a little poll on the show. into a great conversation. What are some of the hardest things to do in sport? You know, somebody said stepping in the ring with Muhammad Ali. Boxing is incredibly hard. Martial arts, certainly, certainly hard. MMA, come on now. We know how difficult that is. Hitting a major league baseball, fastball, curveball, pitch period, right? Pulling off a quad in figure skating. All these things came out. But when I sat down and looked at some of the hardest things to do in sport, my answer was kind of different. My answer, my number one answer was putting together a championship team as a GM. Think about it for a second. Yes, there's some incredibly difficult things. You know, when we talk about the hardest things to do in sport, there's some difficult things that 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 we could say out there. But what is harder than putting together a championship team in any sport? It may be one of the most difficult tasks in all of sport. Yes, sure, stepping in the ring is difficult. Hitting a major league fastball is difficult. All these things are difficult. But think of all the variables that go into putting together a championship team from the top down and the ground up. There are so many things involved. Oh, it's tough. And watching Theo over his career has been fun. It's been really fun to watch. And to see him step away kind of took me by surprise. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Lots of rumors about the Mets, but he's pretty adamant at this point that he's going to take a year away, and I can't blame him. If you know anything about professional sports, it is nonstop, especially at the GM president levels. They don't stop. Player development, it doesn't stop. Year in and year out. It's go, go, go. So, you know, he's been involved for, for how many years? The majority of his life now. So I could see him taking, taking a step away. But in all of this, Theo classically throws us a curveball. And if you had a chance to see his press conference, there was a really powerful quote in there. Not only did his announcement surprise me, but this comment in his announcement really surprised me. It read like this. And this is uh, Epstein talking at his press conference about baseball. It is the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And I take some responsibility for that because the executives like me who spend a lot of time using analytics and other measures looking to optimize team performance have unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game and the entertainment value of the game. He went on to say this, give the fans more of what they want. And maybe there's a way to do that through changes over time to give the game back to the hands of the players and let them do their thing on the field. I think that's the best way to give the fans more of what they want. End quote right there. What do you think? I like it. For a major executive in the game of baseball to come out with a statement like this is a great thing for the game. We all know how analytics have changed the game. We've seen it in the playoffs, in the World Series for crying out loud. But there's no question the numbers, analytics, have changed the game. Not just the way the game is being played, but the way we're developing players, but also the way we evaluate players. And it's not all for the better. You know, there was a great study coming out of the University of Bath here a couple years ago. The study looked at players in the English Premiership Rugby League. And they were trying to decipher why, with all the data and knowledge they had, they weren't getting the results they'd hoped from their players. And the study broke everything down. And the title, I think, really says it all. Here it is. Study points to the unintended consequences of heavy data surveillance in rugby. I think the researchers summed it up best with this statement. The qualitative research suggests that data culture in the professional game can have unintended negative consequences on team morale. How about that? I have to agree. I've seen it firsthand. Data is very, very important. It gives you a clear picture of what a player's maybe done recently, where they're at right now, but does it necessarily determine what's going to happen in the future? No, it it, it indicates trends. Here's what I can tell you, and I've said this on the show before. You give us a player, we'll steal them away and hide them in our secret training lab back in the mountains somewhere, and six weeks later, we'll return them. A completely different player. The data could be 100% useless, depending on the training that we do with that athlete. I think the data has really gotten out of control. I think it's being used the wrong way. Though I also do think it can be very, very important. And I think that's what Theo's getting to here. It's really changed the game of baseball. We've seen it in hockey with a defensive play that has sort of taken over. I don't know if it's impacted the NBA or the NFL as much, but it's certainly impacted player development in every single sport, at every level of sport. And that's not necessarily a good thing, because the numbers do not tell the whole story. So I like that Theo's recognizing this, and I like that he made that statement. I also like the research that's coming out revolving around analytics, the data, And the impact it's having on player development, which numbers do we focus on? And that might be the key right there. Which numbers are being focused on? What's happening is the players are now focusing more on the numbers than their job in the game. they are getting so micro-focused on the numbers that they're being evaluated on that we may be losing part of the game. So what numbers are important? This takes me right back to a conversation we had in 2017 with Keith Law in his new book called Smart Baseball, which looked at the numbers that we're focusing on, what they mean, which numbers are important, which numbers aren't. Let's go back to that conversation. I think it'll really help put what's happening today into context. We're talking with Keith Law, analyst and senior writer for ESPN and author of his new book. It's called Smart Baseball. The story behind the old stats that are ruining the game, the new ones that are running it, and the right way to think about baseball. Keith, the number game. Let's talk about this because, you know, I still think it's, you know, if you look inside of the game of baseball or you and I could probably go sport in general right now because it's infiltrated almost every sport on the planet right now. Uh, not to mention the fantasy side, which might even be bigger business, for crying out loud. Uh, but isn't it interesting how the numbers game has really infiltrated, you know, when we talk about baseball, sort of this traditional game, and it's really starting to steer how this game operates, and that's kind of what the book was all about.
1: Yeah, I really wanted to give people who uh, might even come into this with very little background in stats or in, in baseball, the ability not just to understand what some of these different stats were saying, although that's the structure of the book, but also to understand the philosophy that's at least driving baseball front offices. And, and my understanding is yours too, that this is really happening in other sports too. Uh, the book itself focuses on baseball because uh, like I just said, all 30 teams now have analytics departments. The industry has said, this is how we are we are doing business. We believe that you cannot run a baseball operations department in 2017 without a heavy analytics component. Now, teams disagree on how much they're going to use it, but using that information to drive your decision-making is a core part of the process, and uh, I wanted readers to at least be able to understand the philosophy. I tell everyone, I've given a lot of talks around the country about the book, uh, and I've said, "You, you don't have to agree with everything I say, but if you read the book, you will at least understand what your favorite team's GM is doing. You can see the moves, you can understand the thinking, even if you disagree with it. But if you can't understand the philosophy in the first place, it's very hard to, to argue against it, to think about these moves. I was just trying to give people a, almost a foundation, like a 101 in sabermetrics, in baseball sabermetrics specifically, so that no one feels like they're getting left behind as fans the stats revolution in baseball.
2: Well, I really like it. I've read the book and it's incredibly smart. And uh, even for a guy like myself who's been inside the game for, you know, uh, 15 plus years, uh, it's a real refreshing read. It's also sassy, Keith. I'm telling you right now, hey, you're not afraid to call a spade a spade here. There's some great little jabs in there. Like, I, I, there's a couple that I just sort of highlighted. Like, reporters in the 90s were apparently as dim witted as a 10 watt incandescent light bulb. You know, you're talking about certain stats and the use of certain stats. And you have little things like that all through the book. Uh, just trying to think, really emphasize, you know, what was wrong with the game, what's going on right now, and what. It's going to be going in the future, and that's kind of the ebb and flow of the book. Let's go back to the his- history of these numbers, Keith, and why you think these old numbers, like like batting average, are just so wrong for the game, or maybe the emphasis on those on those old numbers.
1: Well, the problem with all of the old stats, so for folks who haven't seen it, the first third of the book, I go essentially stat by stat in the early chapters and explain why the traditional but most commonly seen statistics don't do a very good job of explaining what happened on the field or giving us a sense of what players are likely to do going forward. For some of them, like batting average, it's just woefully incomplete. Batting average has been typically used as the main barometer of hitting. We say the guy who led the, his league in batting average was the batting champion. Well, he wasn't actually the best hitter. He led in one specific statistic. But that stat has a lot of flaws. It treats singles, doubles, and home runs as entirely equal events. It pretends walks, which we know now are quite important for hitters, didn't even happen. There are other stats like fielding percentage and saves, which are just utterly useless. And yet we continue (laughs) to trot them out. And even simply by repeating them, we give them value. They become anchors for people's thinking. They see, well, he got 48 saves last year. How can he not be good? Well, obviously, I go into a lot of detail in the book on how you can get 48 saves and still be kind of terrible. But the problem is by simply putting those numbers out there, we attach an implicit meaning to them that people have a hard time getting away from. And I really wanted to go after those and just tear them apart, uh, particularly those most useless stats, so that people could go into the second section of the book and almost with a clear with a clean slate to think about better ways of evaluating past performance of talking about uh, future performance in a way that is not then tied to these biases that we get from old stats that it really we use them because we've always used them not because they work but because that is the vernacular of the game it is the way you write about the players it's the way you talk about players that stuff has not changed much in 60 or 70 years, maybe longer. And what I'm hoping by this book, this was already happening around me, but I'm hoping by writing this book that I can accelerate the process of us changing to talking about baseball in a more rational way.
2: Fantastic stuff. We're talking with Keith Law, analyst and senior writer for ESPN and author of his book. It's called Smart Baseball. So that's really interesting. And I think, Keith, that's a great way to set the stage here for our listeners, uh, for certainly the baseball enthusiasts, but I think this this book has meaning for even uh, organizational people. There are there are um you know, I guess candles of thought here that could really light a flame as to, you know, what what's going on in the game or even inside of an organization Keith and what needs to happen moving forward because I've been a big believer. You know, I, I heard Buck Showalter. This was a couple of spring trainings ago, maybe this was 2014, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were talking about you know, the use of stats and how the stats and the analytics are now starting to steer managers' decisions and the fact that maybe even some of the managers aren't even making the decisions on the field anymore was alarming to, I think, maybe the core of baseball. Uh, Buck Showalter said something at spring training in an interview when he was asked about the use of statistics in the game and decision-making and the process now, and he said, listen, it's all important and that's a great tool for teams to have, but you can't forget the art of the game. Um, but you have some strong words in the book that, you know, almost uh, contradict even that statement.
1: Yeah. Well, Buck Showalter uh, ends up playing a pretty big role in the book as I was yes. writing. He, he really blew it in the in the wild card game, the AL wild card game last year, by failing to use Zach Britton to keep a tie game tied and give his offense, which was pretty good, a chance to score the score uh, the go ahead run and potentially win the game. He left Britton in the bullpen because it wasn't a save situation. Ended up using two clearly inferior relievers. Eventually, used one of his starters, who was essentially on the roster as mop up guy, Ubaldo Jimenez who gave up the home run that ended the Orioles season with Zach Britton still standing on the in the bullpen at Rogers Center uh, waiting for a save situation that simply never arrived. When I hear things like that, like Showalter, and Showalter's actually overall a pretty good manager and, and an intelligent person, right. but when he talks about the art of managing, it sounds to me like a, a, that strain of anti-intellectualism that has existed in baseball for probably longer than I've been alive. This idea of pushing back against... Uh, the just the mere concept of using information to make better decisions. That's what this is all about. It is understanding probabilities, understanding players' talent levels, looking for even tiny advantages that you can take uh, that you can take into a game and potentially improve your chances of a better outcome. That's all you're trying to do. When teams shift fielders, and I think everyone, if you watch baseball now, you know that. Not only are we just doing the, the big, the, the old Ted Williams shift, three guys on one side of the back, we're moving fielders for every batter at this point. Yeah. That is taking information that we now have on where each batter puts balls in play, and we can even find out what he does on certain pitch types, or certain locations. We're using data to put fielders in better positions to improve our chances of recording an out. It doesn't guarantee outcomes. But if you do this enough times over the course of a season, you will convert more balls hit into play into outs. That's the whole goal. And if I told – I think if you phrase it to people that way, they say, yes, of course I would want that information. Why wouldn't I use that? Instead of sort of showing up with a battering ram at the door and, and, uh, with, uh, and saying to people, you've got to use this data and jump, sort of jumping right into the acronym soup that tends to pollute, I think, sabermetrics for a lot of sports – I wanted to ease people into it and, and try to talk about it in prose terms, opposed, I mean, you've seen the books. not a lot of math in it. I wanted to be able to explain to people in plain English, this is a new way of thinking, it is a rational way of thinking, it's using data to drive better decisions so that we can just improve our odds of good outcomes. Well, if I told you that, I can make you help you with data, do your job more effectively, you're probably going to say yes as opposed to the resistance that we get from the alders and the Mike Sochas, and the Mike Mathenies, especially, who just don't want to know. They don't want this information even though we know it will help them do their jobs more effectively because I think they're resistant to the philosophy more than even they're resistant to, say, just the idea of um, – more than they're resistant to the specific numbers that they're being given.
2: Uh, good stuff. We're talking with Keith Law, senior writer for ESPN and author of his new book, Smart Baseball. So uh, point-counterpoint, Keith Law, let me ask you this. So um, the analytics has hit baseball by storm. It's infiltrated almost every other sport, and including the national Olympic levels uh, in terms of data and you know analyzing results. Do you think that we sort of redlined it, came on, it was this hot new shiny thing and it redlined? Do you think we maybe overshot it a bit and now it's recalibrating to somewhere where it's really, really going to be meaningful moving forward?
1: We've got new data now in baseball. So I have a feeling what happened is teams adopted with the data that they had and the idea of simply using analytics, where the majority of major league teams were using it, but not everybody. Uh, the, that adoption, though, drove major league baseball to develop new technologies or to work with new technology vendors uh, to get more data. Now this StatCast product, which is where folks are getting exit velocities, launch angles, spin rates, sprint speed, that's all coming from this new product – that Major League Baseball themselves introduced at the beginning of 2015. Right. That was in response to team demand. Teams were, made it clear they wanted more data and they were willing to pay to get more data. Well, so Major League Baseball created this entirely new data source that, according to analysts I interviewed for the book, is helping answer a lot of questions they've had for a long time, particularly around defense. Defense was seen as the hardest thing for teams to get a good handle on analytically. You're still relying too much on in-person evaluation, which I think has its place, but should not be your sole method of evaluation. And now with this new stream of data from StatCast, teams are finding, that I think they're learning a lot of things that we didn't even know before. And they're finding that they can value certain things like defense in ways that were, were just not previously possible.
2: That was such a great conversation with Keith Law. And this is early on now in the onset of deep, deep analytics in the game of baseball. And it's interesting to see over the next four or five years, how it's evolved to today, and, of course, Theo's comment. It has literally changed the game. Has it changed it for the better? Well, that is very questionable, and it's something we're certainly going to look at more in the new year. But uh, there's the interesting from Major League Baseball. It's worthy of an episode unto itself, which we might very well do early in 2021. Okay, so let's go from the interesting to the historic here in Major League Baseball. The hiring of the first female GM. The Marlins hire Kim Ng. And this, of course, has made the news cycles and rightfully so. This is a big deal, not just for baseball, for sport. And for me personally, on a couple of levels. One, I have three daughters and uh, this is great for them. For them to see Kim break through and get this job in a professional sport is great for girls everywhere. Come on. It just really is. I know it. I can see it. And I talk to my girls about it. So uh, congratulations to the Marlins and Kim. And then on the other side, for me personally, I've worked with Kim for the last nine years at Major League Baseball. And she is more than ready for this job. Uh, We're going to work to get Kim on the show to talk about this when when she gets a free moment. Of course, it's a whirlwind for her right now as she gets her head around the Marlins and this job. Um, But listen, her background is has really set her up to be the right person for this job. You know, starting with the White Sox, then going to the Yankees and the pressure cooker that is New York, and then going to the Dodgers and just seeing how that culture operates and how they develop their players. And then going to Major League Baseball and being involved in the game from a holistic standpoint. And Kim did a lot of work in the international game development. And, man, that is valuable. I can speak firsthand You know, my first work with Major League Baseball internationally was a massive eye-opener for me. It provided so much context on the global game that I just could have never gotten had I stayed domestically with a professional club. So Kim was there. She's seen the world. She's seen player development. And now she's running the show. Again, Everything is setting up for Major League Baseball in this upcoming season for the crushed teams to watch. So uh, we'll be watching Kim and the Marlins very, very closely. And again, we're going to be working to get Kim on the show here, hopefully, um, in the near future. And then, of course, we have to go to the confusing. Let's wrap it up with this, because this is going to need some deeper thought. I just don't get it. And for anybody who listens to the show, you guys all know that I am one of the biggest anti-doping proponents out there. Huge fan of the World Anti-Doping Agency. And all of their guidelines and mandates, there's still plenty of work to do on the international level, as we all know. But for a professional player like Robinson Cano to test positive in this day and age, why? Why, people? Why? And then again, how long has he been doing it? What a shame for the game of baseball. What a shame for sport. And what a shame for what could have been a really, really good career. It's all tainted now, much like Alex Rodriguez, just tainted all that great talent. The entire body of work tainted for whatever reason. It's hard to get inside the head of the guys that actually use. I've been around them. We've had great discussions. I try to talk them out of it. But for the most part, I think, you know, when players start losing a step or feeling like they can't compete the way they used to and they can't adapt into their their new selves. That's where it all falls apart. And of course, the people that are around you. I don't know who's around Robinson Cano, but not a good situation for baseball. And there it is, boom, a season, gone. The Mets, of course, having to deal with that now in the midst of a new owner, Sandy Alderson stepping in as president of player operations. They're looking for a new GM. This is a new era for the Mets. Maybe it's best to get it out of the way now before they really do start their assault on rebuilding that organization. The Mets are going to be maybe our top organization to watch in all of sports. Like the Cleveland Browns were over the last few years. Because new ownership. Who's willing to spend. And this is such a great story. A fan. A long time, lifelong fan of the Mets. Works his way up in his business to become one of the richest owners in all of sport. I think he's worth more than $14 billion. And now he's boughten his childhood team. Oh, man, I just love everything about this. And the Mets are going to be fun to watch. Boy, oh, boy. I love the Mets from the get-go. They struggled for years and years. uh, But this is a really, really good time for the Mets. Robinson Cano. Why? So confused, everybody. So confused. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. So baseball moves on without them. And that's the price you pay. Because the game is going to go on. And it's going to be fantastic heading into 2020. So that wraps up our interesting, historic, and confusing talk on Major League Baseball. And if we're not all too confused at this point, my head is still spinning on that one for sure. But I'd like to wrap today's episode up, as promised, just taking a look at our audience brain game poll. It's a poll we put out in the midst of our brain game series where we were trying to decide whether the brain should become one of the top priorities for setting people up for success setting people up to truly, truly tap into their potential. Right now, sleep, rest, and recovery is number one. Nutrition, hydration, posture, range, emotion, and movement for our athletes. That's our hierarchy. But there's a lot of research, data, and conversations going on out there that now has us thinking that maybe we should be addressing the brain and brain performance, the mental game of sport, and everything that entails right from the get-go. We've been having these conversations for six, seven, eight, nine years right now. But it's really coming to a head and mostly due to new technology that's out there now that's allowing us not only to map the brain, but it's allowing us to monitor and train the brain in real time like never before. It's a new era. And plus our understanding of the brain has advanced so much. And a lot of that is due to all the concussion research that's going on. So we're at a new point. And we know when there's new science that comes out and and new lines of thinking, we have to investigate them. And if it leads us down a new path, we're taking it. We certainly are. And so the question was, should we address the brain early on? Our poll had three options. Yes, the brain should be a top priority right from the get-go. Two, no, it should be addressed as you go. Or three, it should be addressed on an individual basis. Well, the numbers were actually surprising to me, especially after our series. We gathered up all the data, and 66.7% of you thought that, yes, the brain should now be one of the top priorities that we attack right from the get-go to set that foundation on which we can build, which is a pretty big number. I honestly thought it was going to be more. I really did. 12.5% said that we should address the mental game and brain training as we go. You know, once we get the process underway, we can attack things when and where needed. And that kind of makes sense. But my question to everybody there would be, are we being too reactive that way? I mean, Psychology right now, clinical psychology, sports psychology, is really reactive at this point. And if we have an opportunity to get proactive, to get in front of a few things, shouldn't we do it? Hmm. Makes you go, hmm. And that's what this is all about. And then lastly, 20.8% said we should attack it individually. And that, of course, makes sense as well. So what's happening right now in our programs is we're doing a screen right at the start, at the onset. And it has a lot of variables and a lot of factors. We screen everything, but I'm talking about the mind and the brain now. We're trying to map the brain. We're getting concussion baselines, but we're also looking at certain aptitudes of our athletes and our and our clients, and we're getting a base score. If there's no worries, guess what? Let's charge on. Let's go. But if there are areas of concern, we can now attack them and help those individuals overcome whatever it is they're facing. Some of them don't even know they're facing it. And it's an eye opener and a game changer for them. So I do agree. I'm all about the individual approach for everything. But there are basic fundamental foundations that I think we can attack or at least look at for everybody to rule out any issues, existing issues or or potential future issues. So there you go. 66.7% say, yes, it should be a top priority. I tend to lean into that group. 12.5% said address it as you go. And 20.8% said address it individually. Great numbers. I want to thank everybody for participating. Just some great, great feedback there. And that conversation is going to continue because I think we've just scratched the surface here with that one. All right. All right. That'll do it for today, everybody. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving once again to all of our good friends and colleagues down in the great United States of America. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. I know it's not going to be what we all imagined it normally would be, but I certainly hope you're able to make the most of it in this challenging COVID times. Coming up next week on Crush Performance, the Crush War on Sugar will continue with Crush Hall of Famer, Dr. Anne DeWeese Allen. We've been trying to hook up with Dr. Allen for the last two weeks. We just haven't been able to match up, but we've got it nailed down. And we're going to continue the conversation coming off our great episode with Gary Taubes. We're going to talk about how the fuel we consume impacts not just our performance, but also our minds, our brain performance. I can't wait for this conversation. I hope you'll join us. Until then, everybody, get out there, have some fun, and go get better. Talk to you next week. Goodbye
1: now. Don't forget to write. This is a Landry football quick fix on Radio Influence.
0: There was a USA Today article that came out about problems over at LSU that were pertaining to sexual assaults that have taken place over a period of time. It's a bad look and we're going to let the investigators figure that out and that's exactly what's going on right now. Speaking with a LSU administrator a couple of them yesterday one of them on the overall university side the biggest thing that I learned in that conversation was the Greek organizations, which I, look, when I was in college, I was a student assistant coach. So I, you know, I wasn't involved in the Greek life and never was. A lot of people are. But apparently there's a lot of issues, and they're maybe on the verge of locking the doors on Greek life on campus at LSU. It was so bad, and a lot of that has come out into this. I think the thing... That's best understood is that with sexual assault, obviously through the investigation, it, it's apparently very, very difficult for the ladies, women to have to deal with. They get questioned almost as they're put on trial. And a lot of them feel shamed, guilty. And I've learned this from from people that are in that industry. And so a lot of times they don't go through with the claim. And the issue of whether it happened or not needs to be determined by people that will study the facts, look at it, and then take it to trial if that's where it's going to go. And I'm going to leave that to those that are skilled to do that. What I can say that's concerning is the fact that there appears to be quite a bit of evidence that as this was reported It was reported by the victim, but then it didn't go where it needed to go into the chain of command onto the LSU campus.
2: The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.